This is a beautiful world. I'm Heather McElhatton, and this is a beautiful world. Our hearts were broken when Cecil was shot, and that sadness turned to anger when we realized that it had been done illegally. Professor David McDonald is director of the Wildlife Conservation Research Unit at the University of Oxford in the UK. His team found their research thrust into the international limelight last week after one of the lions they were studying, named Cecil, was brutally slaughtered by an American trophy hunter from Bloomington, Minnesota. The backdrop to this story is that there is a global crisis in wildlife conservation, which affects us all. And for lions particularly, it seems that their numbers are dwindling throughout the continent. So 20 years ago, my friend and colleague Andy Loveridge and I set up this project to study lions and their conservation in Hwangi National Park, Zimbabwe. It's a colossal project. It's one of the biggest efforts ever to understand the problems that lions face and to try and use that science, both natural science, but also social science, understanding the impoverished communities that live around the park, so that we can come up with solutions for the benefit of wildlife and lions, but also the benefit of the local people. We've been trying to do this for 20 years. We've relied heavily on wonderful and exciting new technology, this satellite tracking method, where we can fit collars to the lions and follow their movements. And actually, Cecil the lion, that's the focus of this news story, was one of almost 200 lions that over the 20 years we have tracked to piece together the details of their lifestyle to provide us with the evidence that allows us to inform policy to come up with better conservation. Professor McDonald, can you tell me how you first became interested in lions? Yes. Uh, actually, I'm speaking to you, as you know, from the Wildlife Conservation Research Unit in Oxford, and I founded that unit in 1986. Uh, rather excitingly, it was the first university university-based conservation research unit in the world, which tells you something about how the world has changed, because now there are many of them, but I'm rather proud to have established the first one. If people are interested in our work, which goes far beyond lions in Zimbabwe um, and is global, actually, then do visit our website, wildcrew.org, and you'll see us working on everything from uh, lions in Africa to clouded leopards in Asia to Ethiopian wolves to otters in Peru. So wherever there's a problem between people and wildlife, the same principles are at stake. Those principles are we need to understand the science, understand the interaction between people and wildlife, ask ourselves, how is humanity in the 21st century going to live alongside the wildlife that it may treasure, but also depends on for a shared future? Those are the sorts of questions, big global questions that we try to answer in a nitty gritty way on the ground, doing challenging work in remote places. What's it like to actually be there and working in the field? Biologists doing this sort of work live a, an interesting sort of life because, of course, like almost everybody else, we have to spend a certain amount of time driving a desk and tapping away on a computer. But for the rest of our time, we live sort of outdoorsman, backwoodsman sort of lives. Uh, I've been to Minnesota. It's a wonderful state. And I know there's a lot of people there who rejoice in the outdoors. So they would not be so unfamiliar with what we do. In Zimbabwe, working with my 
close friend and colleague, Andy Loveridge, who uh, has been working alongside me on this project since we started it, <clears throat> the sort of day uh, in the field that we might have would involve using a four-wheel drive vehicle to drive on very muddy, rutted roads or off-roads altogether to go and try and find a lion to, for example, answer a question about what it had been doing. Suppose that overnight the satellite tracking device had told us that the lion had suddenly become stationary. We would normally deduce that that means it had made a kill. We would be interested in knowing what species of prey it had killed because that could help us understand the details of its lifestyle. So we would then go into the field. We might drive for an hour or two in a wilderness situation to find the approximate location where that kill had been made. Uh, then, I mean, the satellite is accurate, but not that accurate. So there's a needle in a haystack sort of task to find field signs using the sort of skills that a backwoodsman would be familiar with, looking for um, tufts of fur on thorns, footprints in the sand, to try and track down where the lions had been. And then using those sorts of backwoodsman skills, we would try and reconstruct a story of what would happen, find the prey remains, document the age of the prey, what condition it had been in by looking in the marrow in its bones and things of that sort. So it's an interesting and unusual combination between skills that people have used for millennia of living in the wild and skills that depend on the most cutting edge of technologies and we have to try and span those worlds. Um, so that would be some insight into the sort of work that we do, but it's laborious and it's time-consuming, it's arduous, uh, and it's difficult. Mm. Do you take volunteers with you over on any expeditions, or is it just the staff that goes over? We rarely take volunteers for the reason that many volunteers have little time in total, and it takes us a long time to train somebody, and also because in many of the countries where we work, there is a big bureaucratic burden of getting permissions for each new person to join the team. So it's hard for us to take people lightly, as it were. On the other hand, um, as part of their career development and progression, we are approached by biology graduates keen from around the world to develop careers, and some of those do join us for prolonged periods of time um, to work as volunteers on this project or indeed others, because as I say, the Wild Crew, as people will learn from our website, work on all sorts of problems all around the world. Did you like animals when you were uh, a child? Yes. Um, I'm not sure I've ever been very good at anything, but when I was a little boy, I was one of those that was said to love animals, and I was good at taming animals and you know, making plaster casts of footprints in the sand and that sort of thing. So, yes, I guess this was, in some sense, um, uh, you know, my, my natural course through life. And, and I've been so lucky that the development of the field of conservation is just about as old as I am in a technical way. So I was in at the beginning and have been able proudly to have some influence on how it unfolded. And your institution does remarkable work in this field, but you've also struggled a lot with finances and keeping your research going. 
And it seems to me that Cecil's death, as tragic as it is, has also greatly increased people's awareness of the situation and their interest in protecting wildlife. Well, let me comment on that because uh, my heart is bursting with gratitude, quite honestly, and inspiration. It, it is, of course, clear that the start of this story involves uh, an allegedly illegal act and there is personal sadness that you know a lion that we knew a lot about and were if I can put it this way personal friends with um, has ended up ended up dead in this tragic way but incredible good is coming out of it Um, for me perhaps the most important good is the signal that is going around the world that starts with Cecil goes on to lions, but transcends to, I think, wildlife, nature, the environment, where millions of people around the world are voicing the the thought that they attach value to nature, that they attach value to wildlife. And I think this says that humanity, at a crucial moment in its history, is looking for ways in which it can live alongside nature, both because it treasures it, but also because it depends on it. So I think this is a much, much bigger story than than its origins with Cecil the Lion. And I think it says something inspirational. And for us, many of these people have amazingly been making donations on wildcrew.org to fund our project, a project that, that, by the way, rests entirely on philanthropy. We have no core funding at all. And so it's, it's donations that keep us going. And only a few weeks ago, we were thinking, Andy Loveridge and myself, sadly, that we might have to close down our anti-poaching patrol because we couldn't afford to pay the salaries. That has been reversed as a consequence of this. And now we're looking at the possibility of expanding the project um, and doing better work and in a larger area, spanning out of Zimbabwe into Botswana, possibly into Zambia, because of course the lions move oblivious of the national borders throughout this whole landscape. So, so really there is something quite wonderful that is coming out of it. And I think it's a moment in history. I I love how you put it that your heart is bursting. Were you surprised by the global response? I mean, you you must have had to shift from your own personal shock at hearing the news and then watching this story grow globally. I mean, were you surprised at, at how seriously people are taking this and how many people are paying attention? Well, I am surprised, and I suppose it's uh, an aspect of our times that with social media and the Internet, um, an idea can, so to speak, go viral. But what a wonderful thing that in this case, and let's move on from the sadness of the origins of it, that in this case, the thing that is going viral, the topic, is something that is inspirational and something that is truly important to the future. And I want to tell you, if I may, because I know you're speaking to me from Minnesota, And I know that Minnesota, in a sense, feels slightly bruised because it has a personal association with this whole episode, that amongst the wonderful people that have contacted us are quite a lot of Minnesotans. And I I want to express my gratitude for that. And a story that I think captures just how remarkable the response has been uh, is that we had an email a couple of days ago from somebody in Bloomington saying that, that he was concerned that the whole town was in a sense tarnished by the illegality of, of this act. And this person, um, I think his name was Ron Pluft, has, uh, runs a pizza parlor, Topper's Pizzas. 
And he says he's organizing um, a fundraising effort to donate half of their profits during the day and so forth to lion conservation uh, to demonstrate that citizens of Bloomington care about wildlife and nature. I think it's quite wonderful that these people are, you know, from the other side of the world, writing to us in Oxford and offering us support with the scientific work we do very technical and difficult work, to be honest with you, to try and find solutions to problems that are mind-bendingly complicated. You know, do not think because emotion flows freely that any of these issues are easy. We're trying to find out how, you know, big carnivores can live alongside people in the 21st century. And I mentioned to you that trophy hunting is just one and by, by no means the major issue. Uh, these lions in Huangi live next to farmland where impoverished farmers struggle to, to rest a living out of the land. The lions will kill their cattle. We are working with these people to try and find solutions for them. And one of the solutions we've come up with recently has already cut stock losses, cattle losses to the predators by over 80%. You know, so we're delivering really down-to-earth practical, practical stuff. Think about the practicalities of the work we do. A lot of the correspondence we're getting suggests that people might imagine, because they haven't been there, that we just sort of you know, stumble out into the field and watch the lion and it's all very easy. Actually, we're working in very remote places where you need you know, really robust four-wheel drive vehicles. And it's hard to find these lions, even with the aid of the tra tracking device. So each tracking device we put on a lion costs us £1,500. To download the data from the satellite on a license costs us £500 per lion per year. So instantly you can see this is not a cheap enterprise. And I draw a parallel with, say, medical practice. You know, medical people are trying to look after your health. We conservation biologists are trying to look after the environment. The job is no less um, technical, no less challenging, and requires no less money. So people should have in mind, you know, this is tricky work to do, and the technology is wonderful, but it's expensive. Are you worried that Cecil's bloodline will discontinue? The fact of the matter is, uh, there are quite a few lions in Huangi National Park, and what's more important, rather than worrying about Cecil's genes, which are probably actually doing fine in his cubs and his relatives, more important than worrying about that is worrying about the populations of lions and actually other big predators and wildlife in general that we have to find a way of protecting into the future. And with a burgeoning human population, diminishing available land because more and more of it is settled and cultivated and less and less area available with sufficient size to conserve big predators which need big areas to roam in. Our focus now, stimulated by Cecil, should be on how to deliver better conservation. So if your questioner was thinking, what about the legacy of Cecil and his genes, then his genes will be keeping going just fine in the lion population. The legacy of Cecil is worldwide to stimulate a force for conservation. That's what we should be looking to. So I heard that the cubs are still with us and being protected. Yes, this is important. Uh, people 
have been concerned by our discovery that a consequence of the death of one male lion in a coalition can be the the remainder of that coalition being deposed and their cubs being killed. It is true. This is what we have discovered. It's an important discovery, and we can use that to plan lion conservation, but it is not inevitable. So in this case, Cecil had a partner in his coalition. He happened to be called Jericho. Jericho is fit and fine, and the cubs are, as far as we know, all still fit and fine. And so there is a very good chance that Jericho will be able to defend the line. He may not, and if he can't, there's really nothing we can do about it, because this drama unfolds in rugged wilderness, uh, where it's very hard to intervene at all. But I think your, your listeners who are concerned specifically about these cubs, as of course we are, should take great heart from the fact that uh, Cecil was a mighty and magnificent and strong lion. So too is Jericho, and there's a good chance he can hold the lion. And so far the field team is telling me that all is well. And that is great news. But as I understand it, your message is that this is a bigger story. This is about more than just one lion. Yes, I think it's there's a number of strands here, remarkable stories. Uh, on the one hand, let us be clear about what has happened. Uh, it appears, it was alleged, and I believe it is demonstrated, that a professional hunter and a landowner um, behaved illegally, uh, and I think that that is reprehensible and, of course, our hearts were broken when Cecil was shot, and that sadness turned to anger when we realized that it had been done done illegally. Uh, there was a client involved, a, a man from your own state. We have simply no evidence as to whether he was complicit in the illegality uh, or whether he was a dupe, um, and the, the due process of law will doubtless investigate that. Actually, I would say, if I might express to you Minnesotans some humanity, which I think might be appropriate, um, whatever punishment the law might mete out um, to your citizen, uh, once the process of law has been followed, um, the, the penalty he's faced through global vilification must surely be more serious. Justice, in a sense, um, has surely already been done. And I think, you know, um, maybe there's a moment for some humanity in this. But the fact of the matter is, as you rightly say, that the issue that started with outrage and concern for Cecil now transcends that in a way that is a memorial, I would say, for Cecil into something much, much more important than one lion or any one of us or indeed any one citizen who behaved badly or not. Uh, we are now seeing the world mobilized to express a concern for nature. Cecil becomes a flagship, an emblem for something much bigger. And I think that's invigorating. It's gratifying. It leaves us in the wild crew in Oxford humbled and inspired. But I hope another outcome and this has been, in a sense, my life's work, is that a larger number of people will start to understand the complexity 
of what is modern-day wildlife conservation because this is not easy. This is not a simple juxtaposition of good guys and bad guys. This is about humanity trying to find a way with its burgeoning numbers of protecting wilderness, wilderness on which in many ways it depends for so-called ecosystem services, and living alongside animals that have an existence value, as I would see it. These are colossal challenges for our time. They need innovative thinking. They need the very best of technology. That is what we at the Wild Crew in Oxford seek to do. But my goodness me, it's difficult. And if more people around the world come to understand that complexity, but come to understand the importance for the entire human enterprise of solving these problems, and this will mean behavioral change for us all, then I think that would be a colossal historical turning point stimulated by this unhappy saga. How can people who want to get involved help you right now? Well, there's there's a, a wonderful appeal going on. It was actually stimulated by uh, an American called Jimmy Kimmel, who I understand is a chat show host, who uh, in an emotional moment uh, asked his audience to make a donation to us on wildcrew.org. By the way, I would like to uh, refer in a sense to Jimmy Kimmel's voice having become a roar uh, in Leonine terms because uh, he took the trouble to find out about us took the trouble. Um, I don't know him. I mean, completely unprompted, he took the trouble to uh, find out about our website. I think it was a wonderful thing he did. And this, this is now going viral. So our project is potentially transformed from one where we were living um, hand to mouth and thinking about closing down aspects of it because we couldn't pay the salaries to one which can now be uh, safeguarded at least through the next year and probably beyond. And if things go as they seem to be going and people continue to donate, then we may be able to expand the project and do more of the sort of work we do, expanding it out of Zimbabwe into neighboring Botswana, neighboring Zambia, where, of course, the lions move across these national borders. So um, I would beg your listeners, if they feel motivated to do so, to make a donation on the website to wildcrew.org. And, you know, no donation is in a sense too small. Uh, some of our equipment, some of our salaries, uh, some of our training schemes, of course, are expensive. But every day we have to put a gallon of petrol in the vehicle. So any donation can help us keep the show on the road. And we feel honored to be trusted by people who are perhaps not wealthy people, but who are making small donations to us, which are adding up to colossal sums of money. You know, we are so grateful. And I think it's, it's just marvelous how, as I say, a story that started with sadness, started with illegality, has transcended that now, and we feel inspired by the support. What have you learned from this incident? I, I think... I have been reaffirmed in the understanding of how complicated in both a biological but also a human way conservation actually is. You know, there was a time, perhaps when I was younger and we were sort of 
pioneers in this field when conservation was about people with beards and binoculars, like myself, in fact. Um, nowadays, conservation is, in a sense, it's about biology, it's about economics, it's about human development, about agriculture, about the law, about international relations. It is about the politics of humanity, politics with a small p. It's about how society plans to live. Uh, we need to change a lot if we are to live alongside nature. The road we're on as a, in, in terms of how we are as a human species is not a promising road. There is a biodiversity crisis. Lions are declining, and so too are many other things. So I think what we can learn from this is a reaffirmation of how complicated things actually are. But I also learn at an individual level, if I may say so, um, about how kindly and motivated individual people are from all walks of life around the world. I mentioned earlier the, the story of the pizza parlor in Bloomington who's going to share part of its profits with us. I mean, what an extraordinary extraordinary thing. There's somebody else who's painted a picture outside uh, the dentist's house, I gather, who's going to auction it uh, to try and raise money for us. Uh, these, these individual acts by people who I don't know, and I don't know if they're what you could call big people or small people in terms of their wealth. I imagine they're everyday people who have been motivated to do something. I mean, it, it brings tears to one's eyes. I really want to empower people to let them know they can help and they can get involved and that sadness is an element of the story, but it's not the only one. And that moving towards change and support, that's what's going to transform this story into something beautiful and that Cecil will not have died in vain. He'll, he'll, he'll have had a hero's life, a hero's journey and a hero's ending in many ways. I mean, everyone in the world knows who he is and we care. And he's going to, I think, catalyze change, catalyze awareness, and we'll all be better because of him. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. I think it is, um, I, I always use the word unique very carefully. It has a special meaning. Um, I think this is a unique occasion. It hasn't happened before, and I think it's a moment of change. Is there a memorial planned? I think the memorial is the wave of support and understanding and indeed giving that is going around the world. The memorial will be uh, the work that we in the coming years, none of it easy, that we will do um, to try and improve conservation for these lions and indeed more broadly, as I mentioned, the wild crew and people like us work around the world on sometimes creatures as majestic as lions, sometimes creatures that are tiny and creeping and crawling and slithering and far from majestic, but all of which have a role to play in the ecosystems on which we depend and in which we may rejoice. So I think that's where the memorial lies. And I think we should move away from um, a focus now on the particular sadness of the individual case. What will you miss about Cecil? What, you, know, you said he was a friend. You sort of knew him as a friend. What will you miss about him? <laughs> Cecil was a particularly magnificent lion, but most pride male lions are magnificent. Um, he was quite accessible because his home range was in a relatively open area of the park, so he was quite easy to watch. Uh, and I suppose that what one would miss at a personal level is the next time I am in Zimbabwe, my colleague Andrew Loveridge is there right now trying to ensure that the field team is working at uh, full capacity. 
Um, but next time I'm there, it, it will be a sadness to me that I'll go to a place where I uh, have wonderful memories of watching this individual, and he won't be there. But his partner, Jericho, may be there. His family will, in one form or another, still be there. The the soap opera that is the story of Lion personal life will have moved on and it will still be something in which to take joy and rejoice and to be fascinated. Professor McDonald, thank you so much for talking with me today and I'm so sorry for your loss and so excited to see the good things that may come out of it. And I only have one last question for you. I told you the name of our show is A Beautiful World. So what does a beautiful world mean to you? My idea of a beautiful world is actually very futuristic. It is a world in which we have discovered enough about wildlife and the environment and ourselves to use technology to its fullest extent to create circumstances where we humans live globally at a high standard with less inequality, less poverty, and we do so alongside a wilderness which not only will be supporting us through ecosystem services, but also will allow us to value and be thrilled by the wildlife that populates that wilderness. So my ideal world um, involves colossal societal change, but societal change that will, I think, be necessary if humanity is to survive the 21st century and live alongside nature. That was Professor David McDonald, Director of the Wildlife Conservation Research Unit at the University of Oxford. You can find out more about his work on his website at wildcrew.org. That's W-I-L-D-C-R-U dot org. There you'll find loads of information on the many projects being developed globally and how you can get involved and become a part of the solution. I'm Heather McElhatton, and this is A Beautiful World.